Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. We are two days post-Christmas holiday. Tracy, how was your Christmas? It was excellent, Dave. Thanks for asking. I uh, We had prime rib. And, uh, you know, when you're desperate in the store at the last minute to find some prime rib, and there was only one size, and I bought this piece of prime rib. I didn't even look at how much it was, and it was a Gelson's, mm-hmm. because that's the only place I could get into the store. Yep. It was an unseen amount of money for like a seven-pound piece of prime rib, and I had no other option. It was the only prime rib within like five miles, so I had to take – they had a little place in Gelson's where you can take out a loan for your food. <laughs> yeah, so you got that prime rib on layaway. So my wife is saying that I can't go outside. <laughs> I can't go to Starbucks for like three weeks to pay for the prime rib. That's the only way. And to it was it. it was my fault. It was all my fault. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that's fair. We How also had yours? prime rib. Also, a very similar situation. I think we ended up spending. It was something stupid. It was like forty bucks something on prime rib. Nuts. Yeah. Just nuts. Yeah, the the prime rib at Gelson's, you know, just walking in there, they charge you like 40 bucks just to get into Gelson's. Yeah, no, it's a subscription service. I'll tell you one thing, though. The Gelson's in Westlake Village now has a bar in it. There's a bar, a real bar, like an actual bar with TVs where you can watch games and and Wolfgang Puck Pizza and all these taps. And you can go to the bar. And check off, you have a list of things that you want to shop for, and they'll go shop for you while you drink, and it's all free, free service. I mean, it's free, but then you pay 150 bucks on Prime Rib. Yeah, yeah, that number's getting closer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think our 40 buck one was like 50% off, too. It was great. Um, I've never spent this much money on, on a piece of meat beautiful beautiful um so i'm not gonna say we have a lot to discuss wait i want to hear about your kids at christmas running downstairs seeing the christmas tree ripping open presents oh yeah i mean they did all that stuff okay um it was good uh one set of grandparents got them a barbie dream house which we constructed um that that was a trial so um, you did it before you did it. You did yeah, it yeah, it was the kind of thing where they, you know, saw it in the morning. Um, Gosh, I yeah, don't miss those days. Yeah, that was that was something else. Um, yeah, they got a lot of stuff. You know, they did a bunch of puzzles. They have dolls. They have all kinds of crap. A bunch of yeah. stuff they will all forget about within like two more days, and then it'll just be stuff that I step on all the time, like just hard pieces of plastic. More hard pieces of plastic for me to step on <laughs> barefoot before my coffee in the morning beautiful it's a wonderful thing yeah you know i miss those days but then also i don't miss them yeah at the same time i i really missed all the kids being that way and but then god i I, it flashes back to like you had a couple of drinks on christmas eve and then you have to stay up and put all the toys together that's that's challenging or you say or you say to yourself i'm gonna get up at four in the morning and do it yeah well i don't think like, I think it's one of those things you probably forget about as you get older, like, because, you know, you don't have it as often anymore. But, like, 
I, I do want to emphasize, I feel like the plastic, like the tiny little pieces of plastic are getting smaller <laughs> and yet harder and sharper as time goes on. And so like these little plastic pieces of dolls or like the little accessories that go with the Barbies, my feet find them as if they are magnetized. And that's, that's kind of like a talent. You're like a, you could be like a, I am like a stumbling bear in the morning and I just step on all of this stuff and it's just like, you should go, maybe you're a good at finding like landmines or something. Probably. You know, maybe. Yeah. I should, yeah. I should walk barefoot through a minefield. Yeah. Cause that's basically what I do every day. Are you still finding them now? I mean, you're walking now and you're running on little, you're hitting little pieces of plastic. I will constantly do that. Even if like they oh. cleaned up, I will still find like the one like Barbie cell phone or whatever, and it will embed itself right next to the bone in my foot. It's great. So you have, you have carpet and not hardwood. Well, even on the hardwood, I'll do that on occasion. I, oh, I, wow. I, I have a true talent, Tracy. That's, that, that's a, there's a lot of talent there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have a lot of UCLA stuff to discuss. And by a lot, I mean some. Like we let's actually not, let's do, not lie, to, but let's not lie to the people. Let's not lie to no, each other. Not let's not lie to the people. We've got a little well, bit. Yeah, there's no sport going on this week, so that eliminates. Well, that you've eliminates clearly forgotten. You've clearly forgotten about the all important UCLA Liberty game on Saturday, but that's fine. Well, I meant this week leading up to the weekend. There is no football practice. There's no bowl game. There's no yeah basketball game. Even though most of you. Don't even one of the one of the recurring uh, <laughs> uh, posts on the board that we get are what did you do during the UCLA game? <laughs> it's so wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's my new favorite post. Those um, threads are really kind of fun when people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I of course you and I are cross to bear is that we watch these games because we still have yes. to write about them even if nobody else is watching them. See, but that is that's you know every part of people. There are aspects of everyone's job that that aren't good, and this is what we're doing for our people. This is, is what watching we do for you those out games. There. Yeah, we we're keeping a watch out so that you don't have to. This will be very interesting to see how many people do show up to that Liberty game because uh, obviously we're not going to get political, but there are some reasons why people were boycotting politically that game, and then. Given the state of UCLA basketball, that just kind of, you know, adds an element. On, piles on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what do you think? What number? They've been averaging about 4,000? No, they've been averaging almost about six. I think the Notre Dame game tweaked it because that was 12. But uh, other than that, I mean, there have been a couple of fours, I think, but mostly about 6,000. But given the students are out, but it is a Saturday game, so that would, in theory, boost attendance. Yeah, let's see. But, it's, let's but see. it's Liberty, and there's a boycott, and the students are out. Game time will dictate it for me. Hang on. It's a 3 p.m. game, so that's pretty easy for people to get to. Pretty, I think there's got, there's a lot of people who just won't be thinking about it too hard who will still come to the game. So I'll say it's low for a Saturday day game. Um, call it... 4,500, 5,000, but I don't think it'll dip. Like if this was a weekday game somehow, like a Wednesday at 6, I think there'd be like 2,500 people there. Um, but Saturday, 
you know, somebody who's got season tickets wants to bring their kids to a game. I think they're not t- thinking too hard about it. So I'll, I'll say 4,500, 5,000, somewhere in that range. There are at least, I think, 5,000 people on a Saturday who are UCLA fans who literally who have tickets who don't know what's going on with UCLA basketball, yes. I think, who will just who will just show up. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And and Dave, I'm going to be one of those guys in the thread that that might be writing about what I'm going to be doing during the game because you God bless you Dave. God bless you everyone mm-hmm. are doing the review for that game. Yep. I'm 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 taking care of this for all you sinners out there. My gosh. You're an amazing person. Oh man, the, this uh, that recap might might have some that that might that recap might have some elements to it. Let's just say that that might have. Oh, there might be uh-oh. some there might be some things going on in that recap. Um, okay, good. Do you want to talk about basketball first, or will we lose all of our? Yeah, you know what? Let's talk about basketball first um, because I think this is actually the more fun topic because we're not actually going to talk about the basketball team. Don't worry about that. We'll we'll write about that. We don't need to talk about it. They're bad. Uh, they lost. Okay. They lost badly to Ohio State. It wasn't great. Um, they're probably going to fire the coach at the end of the year. So why don't we talk about some, some, some just, you know, high level potential coaches, you know, not in like a real way, not in like the way where, you know, they've already fired a coach and then we'll start really breaking it down seriously, but some names to keep in mind. That's why there is not a hot board on Bruin report on. Well, what's the site that Bruin report online? Because there isn't actually, uh, us, you know, a need for a coach at this moment. Well, I didn't say that correctly either. <laughs> there, yeah, they, sure. they haven't yet fired a coach, and it would there, be there isn't a, an opening. Yeah, yeah, it would be uncomfortable to have a hot board when they haven't yet actually done the deal. Um, kind of tempting though, but yeah, I mean, we're doing basically everything but that. But whatever. Um, so I was thinking about it more and more, and. I don't think there's an obvious, obvious guy like there was um, two cycles ago when they hired Ben Howland, when it was just like, okay, they, they, they tried with Roy Williams, they tried with a couple of guys, but then Ben Howland was the obvious, this is the guy, because yeah. he wanted to come back out west, he would have crawled over, you know, hot nails to come here, or whatever it was. Um, over little Lego pieces. Yeah, he would have walked over all of the hard plastic, barefoot. Um so thinking about that and then thinking about the obviously elite guys, it just, it's maybe it happens, but it's hard to see it, right? Like it's just, yeah. there's just too many, you know, guys are in already pretty set positions. They don't necessarily need to come out West. So I was thinking about it. Okay. So then who are the obvious, basically tier two guys, the guys who are up and comers, or who are very good at lower tier jobs. And well, before we get there, I have to say some of my favorite posts are always like we lay out all of what the reality is about maybe getting a big name for any for the UCLA basketball, and then some will ultimately say, "Well, UCLA deserves an elite coach. It should be an elite coach, or just you know, and that's it." And you say, "But they're not going to get you know." Roy Williams. I, I mean, I don't know what you mean by get going and getting an elite coach, but they don't. They don't want to get into the detail of it. They just think UCLA deserves an elite coach, so that's all they're going to be happy about. And the reality is, you can't. It, you're not going to be able to find unless Billy Donovan decides 
he just gets in like a screaming match match with the owner of the uh, of Oklahoma City, and like you know attempts to murder him or something. I don't think he's getting fired from there. Yeah. So, Y'all just need to come around to this is the reality situation. And why I wrote that piece is there's some very good, not big, splashy names, very good coaches out there. I, I, You know, we've done this before, this list, and there have been times when there haven't been a lot of good coaches. And I think there are some really promising guys. So go ahead. All right. So one name that has really kind of stuck out to me that I am – it's close to becoming my number one mostly because – you know, if my number ones, my number ones are all the elite guys, but I just don't think those are super realistic. So I want to talk to you all about Kevin Keats. Kevin Keats. NC State head coach. Um, so he's kind of an interesting situation. He was a prep high school coach um, for like 10 years um, in yes. Virginia. Uh, super elite, actually, there. He was like 262 and 17 as a head coach in high school. Then he moved on uh, to be an assistant for Rick Pitino at Louisville, and Pitino thought so highly of him that he promoted him to assistant head coach. He was the top recruiter for Pitino, uh, but also provided some valuable coaching. Then he got his first college head coaching job uh, at UNC Wilmington and did exactly what you want to do at kind of a low major school. He went from, uh, you know, rebuilding the first year, and then made the tournament in year two, and then had a better tournament team in year three. Then, I, I mean, just just take that. Yeah. Taking North Carolina Wilmington, UNC Wilmington, to the tournament in its second year, and then I think in its third year, too, right? Yeah. Is there three? Yeah. I mean, that's like taking... That's like just coming into, let's say, San Diego and taking that program to the tournament in its second year. I mean, that's... and. It wasn't a fluke. You took it there the third year, too. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, then, after, so he spent three years at UNC Wilmington, and then this is key, he moved on to North Carolina State. So that shows me that he's also a bit of a climber. Um, yeah. He, he, he wasn't comfortable at UNC Wilmington. He wanted to move on to a bigger and better job, and he did that. He moved to North Carolina State in year one. He took North Carolina State to the NCAA tournament, and this was uh, UNC, uh, an NC State team that in the previous years under Godfrey, Mark Godfrey, uh, former you know UCLA guy, uh, hadn't made the tournament for two straight years. Year one, Keats improves them a ton, takes them to the tournament. They get bounced in round one. And then this year, they're a lot better. So they're much better. They look like a top 20-ish team, um, according to Ken Palm's uh, ratings. But they look like a legitimately good team. Um, he's an offensive-minded coach. So I do want to make that clear, but defensively, even though they haven't been super great, there are a couple of key things that I think point to him being um, a smart coach. Um, one thing I want to draw your attention to is, in terms of defense, uh, Keats doesn't allow teams to shoot a ton of threes. Um, and this is kind of a wonky thing, but the general rule of thumb with three-point defense is there's only so much you can do to control the percentage a team hits from three, but there's a lot you can do to limit the number that a team takes from three, basically with how right. you deny the three-point line. Yes. His teams do a nice job of denying the three-point line, um, which is kind of a key analytical point. Um, in year one last year, he beat Duke and UNC at NC State, um, 
and I mean, no matter what, you're doing a good job coaching if you can do that. Yep. Just right there. Just that alone. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Um, So he's, I think, legitimately a very, very good coach, has done well in some big games. Um, The one wrinkle here is he is a Virginia native who has coached. All of his head coaching stops have been in Virginia or North Carolina, uh, with the high school included. Um, he did go to Louisville, and he recruited at Louisville, so that is a little bit more of a national thing um, when you're recruiting at Louisville. But it's still, he's more of an East Coast guy. Um, but the other options out there, it's not like there's, it's not like there's anybody who's as good a coach who is a West Coast guy right now. I think if you're talking West Coast guys, it's like Larry Kraskoviak, um, and I think he's a firm step below. Um, and I think Chris Kobiak's good, but I, I think it's, I, I think at this point you go with the best coach you can get. Um, and I think he's got recruiting chops. I don't think it would take him too long to learn the West coast ropes. And if he, if he hires assistants, well, I don't think it would be that big of a deal. Um, but I think he's my guy. Well, if he were anywhere in the West coast, he'd be the number one in in my book, he'd be the number one candidate anywhere in the West Coast. So what you're saying is the only thing that's keeping him back from being like really considered like a number one candidate for any big West Coast job is that he's not from the West Coast. Right. So that's the only box he doesn't check. But in a lot, there are two things with someone who's from out of the area. First off, is he going to be a fish out of water? You have, I know some people don't think this, but I've, I've watched it, you know, from pretty close up. A lot of coaches that, that come to Los Angeles, that's a culture shock. You have to be the kind of person that is going to like the lifestyle. You have, if you have a family that's going to, you know, be able to live the lifestyle of Los Angeles, that's key. And then the other part is he's going to have start with zero coaching contacts on the West coast. The fact that he was, he is known as a really good recruiter. And the fact that he came up through the prep ranks is so huge for me. Um, just because he understands, he understands high school basketball, you know, from a firsthand experience. I, and he's got a rep as being a good recruiter. I think we could probably take the little bit of a leap that he'd be a very good recruiter at UCLA. So the only thing really left to know is, would he be a fish out of water, in my opinion? And it's hard, it's hard to tell unless you know the guy. You know, that's the thing. So if he checks every other box but that, I'm good on it too. I'm 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 I've I'm right there with you. I, um, you know I'll be I'll be waving the Jamie Dixon flag if it ever comes to this because he is such a good fit. At UCLA, but I'm with you. I think um, I think Kevin Keats might be number two yep. for me behind behind Jamie Dixon. Yeah, and uh, looking at his contract, it looks like he's got a 2.7 million dollar per year contract, which is less than Steve Alford's getting paid right now. Um, so you know that seems like it's doable. It seems like UCLA can offer him a pretty substantial raise from that. Um, NC State will probably fight to keep him, but 
you know, if uh, there's obviously a lot of questions there. Will would he leave NC State after just two years? I don't know. I mean, he, he left UNC Wilmington after three, so maybe. Um, and you know, from, will from what I had heard was that he at least this is what a lot of buzz about him is is that he you know he was he would leave North Carolina State. He would now he's he would leave it for a big name. East Coast job, a big ACC job is what he would be angling for. Or a lot of times when you say that, it's also any blue blood job. Now, UCLA, we'll call it a blue blood just <laughs> just to say it's a blue blood. Um, it's probably the furthest away of any of any blue blood. So I think he's poised right at that right at that spot to take a job like this, regardless of that he's been there just, you know, a, a short time. I just looked it up. He has, t- he's 40, how old is he? He's 46 and he has two sons. So you probably would think at 46, he probably has like teenage sons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's hard to move teenage sons when they're locked into their high schools or, or any, you know, when you have two kids, but that this is my only concern right there is whether is whether he will be a fish out of water or not. Um, but man, the coaching, you're right, Dave, it just jumps out at you. It's like you throw him in anywhere. Suddenly they win. (laughs) He's like a magic elixir. Yes. Yes. And and you kind of denigrated his defense, but he, in defensive efficiency, number 12 in the country right now. Yeah, they're better this year. Um, not So Ken Palm's numbers have him at 52, um, but those also build in a lot of preseason expectations. Uh, they are, yeah. they're, they're much better this year. Um, he, he's, he's more of an offensive guy than a defensive guy. Um, but again, pointing at the defense... There are a few things that stand out to you from an analytics perspective that are really positive. Um, right. I I get annoyed watching teams that give up a ton of three point attempts. Um, yes. Like Alford, um, because that's just bad. When you're allowing teams to shoot wide open threes, um, you are prone to a ton of variance. Like bad teams can beat you a lot. Um, yeah. When you don't do that, I think you. You're still going to lose to some teams that are just athletically better than you, but I think you kind of reduce the variance. You reduce the number of times you're going to get upset, um, which I think has largely happened at NC State and UNC Wellington. I think they've lost to teams that they should lose to. You know, when you you think about it, like, okay, yeah, they should probably lose to that team, but they've generally won the games they should. And and if you had to poll UCLA fans, it's so funny – they are so down on Tony Bennett because of his style of play. And, and that's coming off of Ben Howland. I mean, obviously we've had an exchange on our, <laughs> on our forum about how people were so dead set on Ben because of his style of play. I'll admit personally, I don't have a problem with his style of play. Ideally, would I like to see like a Ben Howland defense and a great offense? Yeah, of course. But I'll, I would rather, my personal opinion, I'd rather have a good defense. If you had to emphasize one side of the court, I'll take a good defense any day. I like what's painful for you is giving up threes. Painful for me is just bad defense. I, I can't watch the game. It, it drives me so crazy. 
So I'd rather, to me, I need someone who can play defense. Never in our current coach's life has he been ranked the number 12 most efficient defense in the country. So Kevin Keats is doing something right defensively. And then coupled with a very good offense, I mean, that's like the dream scenario now for UCLA fans because so many UCLA fans don't want just a Tony Bennett. They want someone who gets up and down and offensively and pretty much de-emphasizes defense, which boggles my mind. But the, from from that standpoint, Kevin Keats is like the perfect guy when it comes to style of play. Yeah. So I think that would be a, that would be great. I think they should do that. But I'm still, I'm still, and you know what? Uh, they might get to him pretty quickly because, you know, uh, Jamie Dixon. I think Jamie Dixon would be probably one of the first they turn to if they had an opening they had to fill. Um, and there's so many things that where he checks all the boxes, but you know, there's a lot to be said where he's getting paid pretty well at his alma mater. And I mean, job security there, he, he'll be able to coach that for the rest of his coach there for the rest of his life. Um, he comes to UCLA. Well, usual blue bud, blue bloods would give you like two or three years to turn it around. But you know, here at UCLA, they give you six. So (laughs) (laughs) he'd have six years, (laughs) a guaranteed six year contract because, because Jamie UCLA doesn't fire anyone under six years. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd have to think he'd be going right into the, you know, hellfire compared to the comfort level he has at TCU. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a case is what does Jamie Dixon want? Does he really want to compete seriously at the highest level right now? He's in his uh, early fifties, or is he going to be comfortable, you know, having job security at TCU for the rest of his life? Uh, a couple of sources that our friend Greg Hicks checked in on said it would be probably tough to get him, but we've been down this road. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the stance you you set now in December um, that you kind of float among your your sources because you know you want to make the people that are coming at you to feel it's gonna they're gonna have to pay some money. They're gonna have to show that that's that they want him. Yeah. I mean, it would be really stupid for anyone right now in December to send out some kind of feelers to say, yeah, Dundee, I'm coming. I'm, you know, I'd love that job. Right. That's never happened in the history of the world. So, yeah. But he, I, he checks all the boxes. Yep. I would take him. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about as ba- much basketball talk as I can stomach. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. Okay. If, ever, if, if the five people are still listening, we're moving on to football. All right. Football, 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 football. All right, we recapped uh, the early signing period last time. We talked a little bit, um, so now it's kind of pivoting to the January period and what UCLA is going to target. You've run a bunch of stuff about uh, quarterback recruiting, transfer possibilities. Um, when you, So if you haven't read Tracy's quarterback story from earlier today, read it now and then pause this and then come back. Um, of that list of guys, who who's your fave among, among that bunch? You know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, there are a couple, but probably my 
it, like I wrote in that story, there's some politics and dynamics in there. Probably my absolute, I, I mean, I'm not really going to talk about Justin Fields. He, he's an ultra talented quarterback. Um, but I don't think he's going to realistically come to UCLA. Uh, I think he's probably from a few things that I heard, he's a little bit of a diva. I, I think he, he would clash with Dorian Thompson Robinson. It would probably cause some discord if he got his waiver um, and he'd immediately be eligible. You'd have two very similar quarterbacks who are true sophomores. And I think what UCLA is doing here is what they they need to do a couple of a couple of things. They need to find some depth for 2019. Uh, that's that's key. But they also need talent and depth beyond 2019. So let's say they get a one-year grad transfer. I think they'll go out and maybe find another quarterback transfer, a multi-year transfer who might have to sit out a year somewhere, or a JC quarterback, uh, like the one I wrote about. Great name. Did you see that kid's name? Uh, which one was it? Messiah DeWeaver. Wow, that is pretty good. It's a great name. So, um... Uh, Justin Fields doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I think if Justin Fields came in and and won the spot, I would bet Dorian Thompson Robinson would would transfer, and then Justin Fields would play two years and then go pro. I, I don't know. It just there's so many there's so many issues there. I, I think you'd have to be forced if Justin Fields called up uh, Chip Kelly tomorrow and says, "I want to be a UCLA." I, it would take a lot for anyone to turn that down because he's that talented of a kid. But probably my personal favorite would be Shane Bouchelle. I yeah. don't know how to pronounce his name. From Texas. Um, he was a pretty – I saw him in high school. Uh, he's a pretty talented quarterback. He's like 6'1", 215. Has a, has a decently strong arm. Sees the field really well. Smart kid. Can has some athletic ability. Um, completed like sixty percent of his passes at Texas when he started two years ago. He was a he was a true junior this last year, but he I, he only played in two games, and that was intended, I think, so he could use his red red shirt year. Uh, what I found out was that he's probably going to graduate at the end of this year, and he would then because he could use the red shirt on last season and he would have two years to play too. Uh, that might be a really good fit with Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, so he might be my favorite. I like Ben Hicks just from his production value. I mean, he's thrown for like 9,000 yards in three years. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I like him. Uh, those, those would be my, I'm intrigued with Tyree Jackson, the the kid from Buffalo. He's a big kid. Uh, he'd probably be a little bit similar to what you know UCLA got in Wilton Spade. Um, so I think there, you know, I'll drop a little nugget here. I think there has been some contact with some of these guys. I'm not going to say specifically which. I already said that uh, Justin Fields had had made contact with UCLA, but there has been contact with some of these other guys too. So that's very encouraging. But I think if they get that one-year stopgap thing again, I think they still need to go out and get 
a transfer quarterback who, uh, you know, traditional transfer quarterback who would have to sit out a year uh, to be eligible. What yeah. do you think, Dave? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably right in terms of just building the depth. I think they need guys. Um, I would get a little bit concerned about um, uh, pissing off Dorian Thompson-Robinson too much. Um, and I think the more quarterbacks you take to add to that competition, the more you're going to likely piss them off. Um, and the thing is, if you're like looking at Shane Bichelle's stats versus Dorian Thompson-Robinson's stats from last year, they're kind of similar. Like They're the, basically the same guy. Um, and... I, I think Thompson Robinson, I think we all kind of developed an opinion of Thompson Robinson based on those like first three or four games where he didn't look good. Like it was pretty dicey. And then right before he got hurt, and I keep saying this, um, but right before he got hurt, like those two games right before he got hurt, he looked good. Like he was, he maybe played, uh, I forget if it was the Washington or the Cow game, but that was probably the better, the best game from a UCLA quarterback this year, including the Wilton Spate games. Um, right. So there's a lot there, um, and I would be, I would be reluctant to take a guy who's, to your point, I'd be reluctant to take a guy like Justin Fields, who's like an obvious, you know, huge star guy. I, I think if you're going to take a guy, it has to be kind of a, you know, maybe a stopgap, maybe another, you know, fifth year guy who's just doing a year. Um, but I think if you're taking a transfer who's like a true transfer who has, you know, two or three years of eligibility left and he's actually good, I, I would just, I don't think you would necessarily want to start that as your, already it's starting to look like the quarterback strategy of Oregon at the end of the Kelly and into the Helfrich era, when it started to be very like, okay, we'll just take a grad transfer this year, and we'll take a, you know, we'll take a transfer next year, and it didn't work out, um, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't finish up well for Helfrich. Um, and I would worry that they're kind of starting the same way here. Um, I would rather get high school quarterbacks, bring another transfer in this year, but I think if you're bringing in two or more, um, I think you're starting down a, a, a an unsustainable path. Um, well, look at consider this, though. They might only have three scholarship quarterbacks in spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe only three next fall. Um, and... How many of those are, you know, you feel good about being, you know, going in there and making up for Thompson Robinson if he's hurt? I mean, I guess, you know, we're going to have to wait to see Chase Griffin in spring. But I'm still skeptical of whether – I'm not even going to say I'm skeptical whether he's a quarterback for this level, but whether he'd be able to be a quarterback at this level in his fr- true freshman season. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, you'll have Matt Lynch, and I think Austin Burton will probably be a candidate to transfer. So there needs to be some kind of play, one more playable depth, at least for next year, um, in my opinion, to get you through the season. I mean, they used, they used, they had both of their quarter, their one and number two quarterbacks hurt this year, this last season. Um, you see where I'm coming from? So they need someone next year. And it's dicey on how how to navigate that. I think if you took if you found a quarterback, let's say, that went somewhere for a couple of years 
and uh, he comes back, and let's say he transfers to UCLA and he's got to sit out, and he would be the feeling would be is that he would be behind uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. So I think that's a way, that's also a way to go, perhaps. Or I, I think you get a JC guy. That I don't think that's going to piss off Dorian Thompson Robinson either. Um, so I think there's a way to go instead of just trying to find a guy who you know is is going to be better than Dorian Thompson Robinson. I, I think you got to think about playable depth over the next couple of years too. Because yeah. let's say let's say they get a true freshman in 2020. He's not. He won't be playable in 2020. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the the only, I guess from a realistic standpoint, I don't know how many guys are interested in just coming to, you know, be playable depth. But I, I don't know. It's it's a tough sell job. I think I would probably if I if I were doing it, I would prioritize getting a transfer. I think you get one, um, and then I just think they kind of. I mean. I, I'm not like negative on Chase Griffin, but I think they kind of um, they needed to aim a little bit higher with the the and you know obviously they did with Jaden Daniels, but um, I, I think they needed to land somebody who could, in theory, be pressed into duty if somebody gets hurt this year. And I don't think Chase Griffin is that guy. Um, but they, I think, uh, from what I know, they do think he is. I don't. That's right. great. I'm that just they saying. Do. We are making decisions based on what we think, but we have to consider a little bit of what they think. Sure, too. sure, sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. Um, and We're I, not running the football program, Dave. No, not no. not yet. Not yet. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I I would have probably redid the entire recruiting cycle and prioritized getting like I, I don't know. Obviously, they prioritized Jaden Daniels, so I don't want to say that, but. Um, land Jaden Daniels instead um because I think if you're if you do end up taking two transfers this year I just I have a hard time seeing that as sustainable I think it's a great stopgap for this year but then what does it mean for 2020 what does it mean for 2021 and it's just well you're forgetting one thing I'm not saying that you go out and you're going to find a kid whose mindset is well I'll come to UCLA and I'll just be a backup there isn't one kid on earth who thinks that that kid, whoever transfers thinks he's going to win the spot, but you, in your mind, as the coach, said, oh, he, you know, this kid's going to sit behind Dorian Thompson Robinson for the next two plus years, but he's he'll be playable in a year. So uh, I, we like him. Let's take him. But the kid thinks, obviously, as soon as soon as he's eligible, he's winning the spot because they all do. That's I think that's the kid maybe to find and. I'm not even talking specifically about someone, but there's always there's always some bounce back back there, you know, out there. There's a lot of kids who leave California. I, I thought where they made a problem, uh, an issue, uh, where they made a mistake in 2019 recruiting. Uh, first off, they misjudged the whole Jaden Daniels thing. You know, we heard rumors that they still thought they were getting him leading right up to it. Yeah, which is just really bad self scouting. But even when it kind of pivoted and they, you know, he was leaning towards UCLA the whole time. And then a couple of months ago when it pivoted to Utah, that's when I think they should have gone out and found a guy who 
in would come in red shirt and as a red shirt freshman be a serviceable backup in a pinch. Yeah. And there were plenty of guys who were three star guys in California that I think they sh- they could have gotten, but they didn't recruit. They just they didn't recruit. So that was that was one I mean we're centering when we talk about the mistakes they made in 2019 um you know we talk about outside linebacker inside linebacker we're, we're still forgetting that they put all the eggs in the Jane Daniels basket and should I thought should have looked at their depth anticipated that maybe someone would transfer you know Devon Modster left that they needed to bring in someone to have, I mean, you need four scholarship quarterbacks on on your roster, and usually when you have four, two are too young and can't play anyway. Um, so I think that was a real misstep that they should have been able to find. And there were there were guys who wanted to come that I thought you bring them in, redshirt them. By the time they're a redshirt freshman or you know redshirt sophomore, you've got someone who would be able to play at this level, maybe not be a star or even a starter, but be able to play. Yeah. And, and now they're, I think they said, ah, well, we'll just go out and I, I'm speculating on what they thought, but it's based on some pretty good information. Ah, if we miss on Jane Daniels, we'll just go out and find a transfer. And like you said, you can't keep doing that. For one thing, it's going to piss off Dorian. This is the last year I think they can do this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's going to piss him off too much and, and, if he leaves in any in any way, then you're really screwed. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's been a little bit of mismanagement in quarterback recruiting for yeah. the 2019 cycle. And speaking of which, <laughs> there are some other positions I mentioned them lot, like uh, outside linebacker and inside linebacker. I, I think we're going to find them between now and February. They're going to be really scrambling to find those type of guys, especially outside linebacker. Um, Are you telling me it's not easy to um, pick up a bunch of players in January when like 87% of like guys have already signed? Yes. Uh, and Interesting. Yes, Tell that, me more. I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. Hey. Um, and the thing is, it's projecting out. I think they're very short-sighted. They looked at their... They looked at their depth chart for 2019 and said, "Wow, we've got a bunch of linebackers." But you know, in recruiting, you got to kind of look two years down the line and see what your depth chart is. And if you look at outside linebacker, well, there's no more Jalen Phillips. Um, you know, Raheem Johnson. I I would feel he's probably going to leave the program. Mike Juarez is a massive question mark whether he can return. So you're left with. Adua Isabor and Elijah Wade and Marcus Moore. Marcus Moore was uh, suspended for a good portion of the season. Um, so there has to be a question mark there. And Elijah Wade, in my personal opinion, is playing out of position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you know, you've got Hayden Harris, who's a roll of the dice in the 2019 class, and you got Adua Isabor. And that's your depth chart for 2020. Is that bad? That outs- <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how they didn't see these red flags uh, and, and anticipate that they were going to lose these guys. That they actually looked at this depth chart and said, "Oh yeah, we're good." I that that is confounding to me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, 
And I think Bo Calvert stays inside. I think they envision him inside. He might be able to play either position, but he also got hurt and sat out the rest, sat out the majority of the year. So that's like, that's like, you know, uh, alarms are going off here at outside linebacker. Um, inside linebacker, kind of similar. Um, they're loaded with bodies for next year, really. But then they lose a lot of them, at least four. And then you're left with some guys, you know, you're left with a small little kind of skeleton crew of, of depth chart for 2020. Um, so those two positions are huge. Uh, offensive line, they could use another one. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily going out actively and looking for one. My sense is that they're not right now, between now and February. Um, it's a shame. Did you happen to look at the tape at Paul Mataveopoliali? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your pr- thank you. What was your impression of him? Uh, pretty good. What did you think? I, I, when we, our friend Patrick saw him at a camp where he stoned Fa'atui Tulea. He's the four-star defensive lineman who's committed to Washington who had offers from Alabama, various, you know, big name programs. And he just stoned him. Um, you looked at his tape. It was very impressive. He's an academic risk, I think, for UCLA. But like I wrote, man, if there was ever a silver bullet that you could use yeah. right now, it would be him. I think he's probably a future pro. But I, I don't think they're going to do that. And I think they might not even look for another offensive lineman and just settle on four. And then there's probably wide receiver where they'll probably want to sign one. Uh, the Puka Nakua situation will be interesting we'll see what happens with kyle ford and brew mccoy when they announce on well during the all-america game uh and whether that makes puka nakua available because they're puka nakua is verbally committed to usc and he he's waiting to see if those two guys have signed with usc can you so, say can you say puka nakua one more time for me puka nakua yeah okay that one's easy Paul Mataveo Poiali'i. No, no. I just wanted you to say Puka Nakua because it's really fun. <laughs> you can say it too, Dave. Well, it's just, you know, Puka Nakua. It's really great. Pukenakua. I love it. So, uh, you know, uh, they did really well at defensive line. Uh, you know, they pulled that out. But right now, even if they don't get Puka Nakua and they don't get a fifth offensive lineman, they need. I think they need to solve the quarterback, outside linebacker, and inside linebacker situation for recruiting in this cycle. That should be easy to do. <laughs> Just three entire position groups where they need, uh, you know, some real playable depth here, where nobody's available anymore. I don't see a problem. Yeah. Just. I mean. Uh... You know, there there are some outside linebacker prospects out there that are available. There's, like, the kid that we wrote about who's verbally committed to Vanderbilt, Jeffrey Blake, who yeah. I think it would be a huge addition looking watching his film. He really jumps out at you. So there are guys out there. It's just a matter of let's see how they can recruit. They didn't, they didn't really recruit hard during the season. Now they have, you know, a month and a half. Not even that. Well, yeah. To prove that if they can, let's say, if they get him, 
Daniel Haimuli, let's see if you can really recruit the crap out of it. And here at the end, out recruit the Washingtons of the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, last year in January, they did, they did recruit hard, um, down the stretch. Um, so maybe that is something where they'll just kind of kick it into high gear now heading into January. I think that's certainly possible. They've seemingly changed up the staff a little bit. Um, well, visibly they, they, uh, Jeff Martson moved on to Colorado. Uh, he was the director of player personnel. Um, so maybe that, you know, shakes things up a little bit in terms of how they prioritize certain things and how they strategize. So we'll see that if that has significant... any. Yeah, go ahead. Effect. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, we'll see sorry. if that has any effect. That was a significant move. That I mean, that is directly reflects that Chip wasn't happy with what was happening in recruiting. Um, and I mean, what that happened couple of days after not too long i mean it, it it happened pretty quickly so it it wasn't like chip kelly suddenly realized he probably started to realize a little time back that things weren't going in recruiting like he wanted them to and and that director of player personnel i mean he oh he heads up recruiting from evaluation to finding all the guys all those other recruiting analysts work pretty much kind of work for him find finding all the guys evaluating them and then getting your coaches to stay on them hard just making your whole recruiting effort an aggressive one every aspect of it is that director of player personnel so obviously chip wasn't satisfied with it yeah um so that's that's kind of you know everyone was we're kind of always used to at UCLA if you remember things weren't going well at a certain position and it was always well just keep coaching them <laughs> there weren't ever changes made there weren't too many changes and and this was a quick change made at a at you know a section of the program that that wasn't necessarily achieving. So, you know, it looks like Chip's up for making for making changes instead of status quo. And that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is probably one of the, I mean, look, I, whatever. But I, I think it's probably one of the more positive signs from this recruiting cycle right now is that uh, they, are, they are making changes. So that's good. Um, you got anything else? No, Dave. I don't. All right. Well, I really like the whole discussion about whiskeys and, and scotches and bourbons, though, on the message board. That's good stuff. Do you drink? Do you drink whiskey? I don't. I don't drink nearly at all anymore. Oh, wow. That's a sad statement. Yeah. I, I, small children. Just it's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that. I remember those days. I, I went a very long time without drinking, too. I remember we had held out my wife and I had held out for really drinking for the majority of our children's lives. And then my youngest, when he was a senior in high school, my wife and I started drinking a little again. And he turned to us, he goes, have you guys always drank this much? And I just didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. we took a break. It was about 15 years. <laughs> so I got 15 years to make up for yeah. tonight. No, I'll have like a beer. Like I had a beer on Christmas Eve and I was so tired 
Just so, so tired afterwards. Hey, I have one bit of advice raising kids that I'm starting to learn now that my kids are all adults. You have to watch everything you say to them because one little offhanded snarky remark can get into one of their brains and become like uh, uh, a theme of their entire life by the time they're an adult. So can I tell you a story? Sure. All right. Um, so this is three years ago. Um, our ceiling fan breaks. Um, you, you know all of our audience just left because they're sensing that we're not going to talk about UCLA sports anymore. But yeah, go it's ahead. It's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. So our ceiling fan breaks and I'm trying to fix it and I'm, you know, messing around with it. And it's as is a tradition among the Woods family. Um, whenever you are fixing anything or doing anything around the house, you got to turn the air entirely blue with your curses. Um, just, it's a, it's just, this is how we do things. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, Oh God damn it. Just like doing the whole thing. And I don't notice my daughter Berkeley standing to the side and she's, I think two and a half at this time. And for, Ah, about the next two years, whenever she saw a ceiling fan, she just said, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like just pointed that's at funny. it and said, God damn it. And so that that's my story about ceiling fans. And I mean, but it, it like it gets in there. Wait, there are going to be little little things that you little seeds you put in their heads and they lay dormant mm-hmm. for years. And then you go, why do you think that? You go, I don't know. I just have always thought that. I mean, I think you said it when I was young. I mean, just watch what you say, those offhanded things. Oh, yeah. Because they they create a whole way of thinking for your child. So, you, I mean, I, it's hard being a parent. I'm looking back on it and thinking, wow, I wasn't really a very good parent in so many things. But, like, just for instance, my son, who's 20, at some random t- – so I, my wife is blonde. All my kids are blonde. Some random time, I don't know, he heard me say, "Eh, I like brunettes. I like brunettes when I was young. I said that. It germinated, laid dormant, and now all he literally has said to me, oh, no, I only like brunettes. I want to date any blondes. I go, what if you meet the perfect woman who happens to be blonde? Nope, won't date her. (laughs) So watch what you say. It It can germinate in there. And and really influence the young brain in ways that you don't know. Okay, that's my that's my failed parenting advice for the day. I just won't speak to my children. I, I'll, I'll avoid it, the entire issue. It's like being a sometimes well not a politician today, but just being very diplomatic with your children. Don't ever have a say or a take on anything ever. Just don't, be vanilla. Yeah, give them no opinions whatsoever. Yes, that's that's my theory. And right. don't drink, don't don't drink. Well, that's how not. you that's how you stay on point. Yeah, because if you start <laughs> drinking, you might start giving opinions. We need a blog about failed parenting. That's what we need to do. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a dark thing for me to start writing when my kids are five and two. <laughs> well, no, I can tell you how everyone failed, and then you can be you're right in the thick of things and saying how you can apply that. Well, so no, like, because I feel like my like my children are are five and two, but I feel like I'm already failing in just so many ways, right? 
Like it, well, I, that see, that's what I'm saying, Dave. I thought I was failing in so many ways then, and now realizing there were so many ways I didn't even realize I was failing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Life is good. We all we all really you, you got that. that to look forward to, like a life of guilt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for us. Hey, uh, happy New Year! Happy New Year! Uh, I'm David Woods, Grand Report Online, UCLA side and Twenty Four Seven Sports Network. Sign up for a subscription. That's Tracy Pearson. And we'll talk to you guys again next time. We'll see you next year.